If you happen to be here last week, we had Ray Jones. He was a special guest speaker from uh, Louisville. Um, and he talked about, uh, he encouraged us to reach out to people who don't know Jesus. And he reminded us that right here in our own communities, Zionsville, Carmel, Westfield, Indianapolis, there are people that don't know God. And he says, we don't need a bullhorn. We don't need pamphlets. We need to build relationships with people um, to tell them and to show them God's love. Now, on Saturday, he did an event called Becoming the Gospel, and at that, he shared lots of great things. One of those things he shared was, according to Barna Research, George Barna Research, only 60% of self-identified Christians have attended worship in the last six months. I want to put that up because this is a pretty shocking statistic. So, Americans who identify as Christians, only 60% of them have attended worship in, uh, once one time in the last six months. So congratulations, you're here. Uh, you beat the odds and you get a break for six months. No, that's not true. We want you in worship uh, as often as you are in town. We would love for you to be here and you add so much to us. Many other Americans, when asked what their religious affiliation is, they check a box marked none, meaning they are spiritual but not religious. So what are we to do about this as Christians and how are we to continue living the Christian life? So we're going to talk about that in terms of Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We're going to talk about encouraging one another and keeping meeting together as Christians. So to do that, let's dive into Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, on this Sunday, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hebrews is a great book, probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It was written about 30 to 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, written to an audience who as second generation Christians were still being challenged, many of them Jewish Christians, thus the title Hebrews, Still being challenged, was it worth it to live as a Christian? Should they, should they truly believe in Jesus in who he says he was? So the writer really is, is telling them, yes, Jesus is really the son of God. And to encourage each other, you need to keep meeting together. That's what we're going to learn about today. And I would say in a secular culture, as we talked about just a minute ago with a couple of those statistics, it's important that we here, uh, as part of ZPC and as Christians, keep meeting together. And we find ways to encourage one another. Well, you probably know that in the Old Testament, for good Jews, there was a sacrificial system. That some of what uh, the author of Hebrews, who we don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is, 
was alluding to in these first few verses was the sacrificial system. So good Jews on the Day of Atonement would bring sacrifices to the high priest and uh, he could sprinkle blood on things and then and carry in offerings actually into the temple and then into the back of the temple into the Holy of Holies or the most holy uh, place. Now this was only on the Day of Atonement could he enter into the most holy place. It was on Yom Kippur. When he would go in there, only on that one day of the year, and the high priest was the only one who could enter. So here's the good news, I think, for, for us today, is that things have changed. Is that that sacrificial system for us as Christians is no more, and Jesus takes care of that. And here's what I mean. There are three ways in which Jesus has changed the sacrificial system, and so we don't need it anymore. First... Hebrews describes Jesus as the great high priest. In other words, he is the greatest. He is the highest, the highest high priest. Okay, that's first. Second, Jesus is the ultimate all-time, one-time sacrifice. So instead of having other sacrifices of animals or other kinds of sacrifices, Jesus sacrificed himself. And it was for one time. It doesn't need to be redone. It is done. Third, we can meet God by Jesus opening the curtain for us. Uh, Liz alluded to this in her prayer, that in the holy place or in the temple, before the most holy place, there was a curtain that would separate. And and again, only the high priest could go past there on the day of atonement. But Jesus took care of that by opening the curtain, the writer says, so that we can meet with God. So Ben Witherington is a Bible commentator, a Bible scholar. He said this to help us understand it a little bit better. He said it was as if there was a no trespassing sign on the most holy place. And they would know that it was only the high priest could go there. So imagine being told that we want to meet with God. We want to, we want to talk with God. We want to pray to God. But really, there's a no trespassing sign where we want to go to the closest place we can get to God. And it's only someone else. It's only a high priest who can go there for us. He said this too, he told a a story or an image in a sense, an illustration. Witherington says, imagine being in London and asking for directions to Buckingham Palace. You get the directions, you go there because you want to see the Queen of England. You go there, when you get there, there's there's a high gate, a very large gate, and you can't get in. So you're disappointed. You wanted to see the Queen. You didn't know much about this, and you went, and you don't get to see her. But then imagine, and you'll have to imagine this. Prince William and Prince Harry are there, and they say, come in, let's go see our grandmother, and while you're there, you can meet our wives and kids too, and you're like, that sounds like a lot of fun, let's go. So you get a chance to go into that most inner place, that special place, and meet with the queen. Now imagine for us that Jesus says to us, do you want to go meet with my father? Do you want to meet with God? Come with me, I'm going to tear down the curtain, I'm going to open it up, so that you can go into the most holy place and meet with the king, the king of kings. It's not just the queen, the queen of England. He is the king of kings. And so we can go meet with him anytime, anywhere. Now, Jesus is the highest high priest, but he's not a high priest that we can't relate to. And this is something I think is also beautiful. If you want to spend some time uh, reading in Hebrews, this is back in chapter 4, which actually has a lot of similarities to chapter 10 as well. The author of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is a high priest, and yet he says he was tempted in the ways that we are. When he was walking around on the earth, he dealt with temptation and then later with suffering. So when we suffer, when we hurt, when things go wrong in our lives, and we feel maybe we have no place to turn, we can turn to Jesus because he has been there and done that. He has gone before us, and yet he is still the Son of God who opens up the way to Jesus. So knowing how Jesus sacrificed, knowing how he suffered, it helps us to draw near to him because he first drew near to us. And I hope that for today, and one of the reasons we think about well, maybe church sometimes is boring. Maybe I don't want to go. Maybe there's other more fun things to do or to be involved. I hope that you would be inspired, encouraged, that Jesus has been there and done that, that he gave his life, that he sacrificed, that we can relate to him. And because of that, we can be encouraged to keep meeting together. So the author of Hebrews then closes out this short passage with giving us exhortations, with giving us reasons uh, uh, of how we're to keep meeting together, okay? And he gives it in a very simple way. He gives three phrases that all begin with the two words, let us, let us do this. And so we're gonna unpack those for just a minute. The first is, let us approach God with confidence. Let us approach God with confidence. That relates to faith. Let us hold fast to God's promises. This relates to hope. And then let us encourage one another. And this relates to love. Another commentator I was reading this week said the writer of Hebrews was probably a reader of Paul. And at that time, 1 Corinthians would have already been written. He would have known from 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so he says, we are to do these things. Let us approach God, faith. Let us hold fast to God's promises hope in him and let us encourage one another in love. So let's look at each one of those. How are we to approach God? With confidence, he says, and then with true and clean hearts. We can approach God. I, as I was thinking about that this week, I think sometimes, and even I will, uh, being a Christian most of my life, fall into this occasionally. We can feel unworthy. We can feel unworthy of approaching God. I'm not worthy. God is holy, is perfect. It's even in some of the songs we sing, God's perfection is holiness. I'm not worthy to approach God, to relate to God. And I think Jesus certainly has some answers for that. I was watching actually on YouTube a little bit this week, uh, author and speaker Brene Brown uh, has written a lot of books and does a great job. And she talks oftentimes about guilt and shame and what we might do to combat guilt and shame. She says that guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is feeling I am bad. Guilt is to think, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. That I'm unworthy, I'm a failure, I'm unworthy to be with God or maybe to be with other people. Without going into too long of a discussion and leading too much on Brene Brown, I want to talk about what Jesus might say to our guilt and shame. For guilt, Jesus has paid for it. The author of Hebrews uses the words clean and pure. He says we are clean by Jesus sacrificed, and he has washed us clean 
with pure water. And I think those words are very intentional to remind us that in God's sight, as he sees us through Jesus, we are worthy, that we belong to him, and that we, we again, through Jesus' sacrifice, we can go into that most holy place. We can meet with God face to face, that we are worthy in that sense. We do need to say we're sorry. We need to ask for forgiveness, but then God forgives us. And so in a sense, he makes us not guilty. In response to shame, we can say that we are made in God's image. We belong to him. We are his children. We are valuable because of who God is and because God loves us. Will we still make mistakes and need to say we're sorry? Yes, we will. We'll never be perfect. Will we still sin and be our own worst critics? I think sometimes I'm my own worst critic. It's usually in my head. I usually don't speak it out loud. But I find myself doing that occasionally. And God can say again, you belong to me. You are valuable because of who you are. I made you. I know who you are. You belong to me. You are my child. And when we keep reminding ourselves of the truth of that, it can help us realize who we are with God, that you are not a mistake, that you matter, that you have value. So let us approach God with confidence. That's the first let us. Second, let us hold on to the confession of our hope or let us hold on to our promises for Jesus who promised is faithful. We can believe what God tells us is true. That's kind of that first part of this passage. And really, most of the first part of Hebrews up to chapter 10 is explaining again who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He is truly the son of God. He is the greatest high priest. He is the once for all time sacrifice that we can believe in him. We can believe in his promises because they are true. And I think, again, in a world where sometimes we may have doubts, other people may not believe as we believe, we need to go back and be encouraged to believe in God's promises and in his truth. And then to go on to share that with others. Part of our DNA here at ZPC is we say we are blessed to be a blessing. And that's who we are. We are blessed by God. But it's not to be a cul-de-sac, an endpoint. We are blessed to be a blessing that then we can go out and share that with others. Which leads us to the third let us. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another in love. Now, the writer of Hebrews kind of breaks this into three parts as well. So you kind of have three and three here. First, he says, we spur one another to love and good deeds, or we provoke one another to love and good deeds. We need to, we need to push each other. We need to kind of exhort one another. And oftentimes by our our examples. I find oftentimes in you, as I watch you do things, as I saw some of the volunteers, I got here really early this morning because I knew I was preaching. I wanted to come practice. It's like, man, there's like five cars in the parking lot and it's dark. Who's here? Oh, it's the IHN volunteers. They're here extremely early in the morning to care for families who stayed here the last seven days as homeless families who have nowhere to go. And so they were here early in the morning cleaning up, getting the church back in order, making sure those families had breakfast walking them out as they, as they were leaving to go on to their next location. And so they spurred me, they encouraged me as they beat me to church early this morning. I don't know about you, but I've been watching uh, a lot of the U.S. Open tennis this week. My family is a big tennis family. We've been encouraged watching that. I was watching last night, disappointed that Coco Goff lost to Naomi Osaka, if you're following that. Coco Goff is the new young American phenom, a tennis player at the ripe old age of 15. Yes, she's 15 years old. 
She made the third round of the U.S. Open. She made the fourth round at Wimbledon. And last night, she lost to the number one player uh, in the world. But she mentioned a couple of nights ago what pushes her, what encourages her. She says she has a friend, Katie McNally, who's older than her. She's 17. She's also playing in the U.S. Open. And Katie, her friend Katie, had won a pro tournament, a lower-level pro tournament, where Coco had lost in the early rounds. And she said she remembered that. If Katie can do it, then I can do it. If she can win in these pro tournaments, I can win. And she said that encouraged her. And then last night, watching in the, ma in the match last night, after the match, Naomi Osaka was such a gracious winner as she reached out to Coco and they encouraged each other on the microphones on the court. And it was a great example of sportsmanship, but you could, you could almost feel them pushing each other to bigger heights. And I was thinking that's what we're called to do as Christians, to be encouragers, to push each other in ways that Christians can to bigger heights and to, to more places where we can love one another, where we can serve God. I oftentimes like to work at my desk um, and I, I like to read, I like to study, I like to work on my to-do list and yet I have to remind myself um, to get out with you guys, to, to pick up the phone and call you, to shoot you an email to see what's going on or to, to get out into the community. And so here's how I remind myself what's important about let us not give up meeting together and to let us encourage one another. I say these two things sometimes. People over programs. I'll put them up here in case you want to remember. People over programs. So, so you know what? My programs are ready to go. I need to talk with people. And then people work over paperwork. Now, a lot of my work now is computer, and it's not as much paper as it used to be, but people work over paperwork. Not that you guys are work, okay? That's not what I mean. But we need to encourage one another to be with people because that's where it's at. That's what we're called to do is to encourage one another, to keep meeting together, and to love each other. So the final let us in Hebrews chapter 10 is let us keep meeting together. He says some are in the habit of giving up meeting together. So imagine this, in the early church, probably 30 to 40 years after the time of Christ, sometimes they were tempted not to meet together or to to not go there, but we need to encourage to keep meeting together and to not be like that statistic that says self-identified Christians, uh, only 60% of them have attended worship once in the last six months. We need to keep meeting together. Now, I remember being um, a teenager, even though it's decades ago for me, and I thought I was a really good Christian. I grew up in a church. I grew up in a great, healthy church. I grew up in a great family. I was blessed in a lot of ways. I knew how to do, and, I, and I, was a, I was a Southerner. I was in Texas. I was in the Bible Belt. I knew how to do my quiet time, to read my Bible, and I had a little journal. I would write notes in my journal. I would pray every day. But I wasn't very involved in my local church. And even at that age, around 16, turning 17, at some point I realized I was judgmental. And I was judgmental of other, these other kids, they're not as good a Christian as me. They don't, they're not probably at home having their quiet time. Well, what I, I didn't even know because I wasn't involved with so much with other kids. I wasn't involved in my church as much as I should. I was invited to go to church camp between my sophomore and junior year in the summer, right before we started our junior year. And I went because some of my friends invited me. And at church camp, I, I spent time, I roomed with those guys at camp. I don't remember what all happened at camp, but I remember a couple of things. 
that sometime during that week it clicked for me that some of these friends and some of these young men who would become my close friends, that we were all struggling Christians. We were all struggling guys who were high school students. And we prayed together. We prayed out loud. And that was like revolutionary for me at that time, being a high school student. I'm blessed I was still young enough to experience that. Those guys, along with the help of our youth pastor, went on to form a small group. And we met together um, weekly, pretty much, for the next two years of high school. We were in each other's weddings years later. And some of them I still keep up today, even though most of them live back in Texas the importance of that was, is I realized the importance of meeting together as Christians, that we could encourage one another. Even when I would walk down the halls in my public high school, sometimes I would see them and just seeing their faces and knowing what they were going through encouraged me to keep walking the walk as a Christian. So it's important for us to be here in worship together as Christians. And it's important for us to meet in smaller groups as well. One of the ways which we talk so much about is home groups. I'm with a group of men that meets on Tuesday mornings at 7.30. And I would say when we started out a couple of years ago, uh, about four years ago or so, we did the home group thing. We, we read the scripture that was in the Sunday sermon. We answered the questions. We shared quick prayer requests. And we were pretty much gone. It, it was good. It was fine. But... We weren't going real deep. And then something along the way kind of clicked. And some of the men, who men who I think oftentimes uh, like to be tough, they like to not, not show weakness, some of the guys kind of stepped out in some vulnerability. And they shared. Some of them shared about job changes they were going through, what was going on in their families, prayer requests that they had that they needed, maybe some deaths in their families that we needed to pray for one another, tragedies that were going on hard times that were going on. And, and we started, I think, looking forward to even more than answering the questions of kind of being there for one another. One of the guys in the group is even really good. He will sometimes send text messages when we, someone shares a deep prayer request. How's that going? How can we pray for you more specifically? And then when we come back the next Tuesday, he'll, the first thing he'll do is he'll ask, hey, you mentioned this last week in your prayer request. How's that going? And when he does that, I'm like, oh, I should have done that. I should have said that first. You know. No, but actually... I'm excited that he is taking that on in our group of leading and, and, and connecting with the guys in our group. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the third let us in that part and the last let us of this. Recently, Jerry had our staff for a staff retreat read the book Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Now, Meyer has been very successful in upscale restaurants in Manhattan, New York. And why would Jerry have us read a book about restaurants? I don't know. Jerry likes food a lot, I think. Um, but actually, Meyer talks a lot about people and about hospitality. His restaurants have been very successful because he cares deeply about people. He, he tells stories like when in, in his restaurants where most of the people have to get reservations to get a table, that oftentimes they try to collect notes on people and write them by their reservations. And he even tells a story of someone who made a reservation for an important wedding anniversary, and he called the family that day before they were going to come in that night and wished them happy anniversary and said, we're going to make sure you have a great night tonight at our restaurant. He was going the extra mile um, to make sure they did that. He has a little mantra that he uses that I really like because I love little things like this. He says this, A, B, C, D, 
always be collecting and connecting dots. And at first I was like, well, you mean connect the dots, right? And he says, no, in the book, it's collecting. It's collecting facts. It's asking about things. It's learning about people. And then you collect those dots and then you connect the dots either to yourself and people that you know or you connect the dots from someone to someone else so they may get to know someone. Always be collecting and connecting dots. As I was thinking about that, I think, how do we do that? One of the things that we can remind ourselves to do is to do this, ask questions, remember answers, and then ask again. This is a tool that I used a lot in student ministry. You would ask a student, how's it going in your world and learn something about them and then remember what they say and then ask again. It's a, it's a way to get to know people better and get to go deeper with them. Now I would say th these are some tips that I use and that, that Danny Meyer and others have used, but I wanna tell you, without our hearts in the right place, it will become old and tired. And so if you didn't notice in verse 22, the author of Hebrews says the word heart twice. He says, we are to have true hearts and a clean heart, a true heart and a clean heart. Another translation says sincere heart. How do we get a true heart a sincere heart. Well, we asked Jesus for it. It says in the Old Testament and the Psalms and other places in the New Testament that God wants to make our hearts new. And I think this is a continuous thing. We need to ask God, God, will you change my heart about this situation? God, will you change my heart about this person? Will you change my heart where I'm feeling some anger or frustration or fear? Will you change my heart? And when we do that and begin to pray for others, our hearts are changed so that we want to be encouragers. We want to keep meeting together. We want to spur one another to love and good deeds. And really when we do that, when we live in a Hebrews 10 kind of way, we are fulfilling our mission here at ZPC. And a reminder again what our mission is. We are called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. And let's look again at that very first phrase. We are called together by God. Let us keep meeting together. Let us keep meeting together to spur one another to love and good deeds, to be God's people, to encourage each other so that we can keep the faith together. Let us pray. Most loving God, we thank you that you are with us this morning, that we are meeting in your place in this sanctuary, that we are in your presence. We are thankful, God, that we can draw close to you in this place in prayer and with each other in the word and song and in fellowship. God, we pray together as a corporate body and as individuals that you would change our hearts, that you would move in our hearts to love like you, to be more like you. So God, this week, change our hearts to be your people, to spur one another to love and good deeds. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.